Hello, you are listening to KDRT LP 95.7 FM. This is Corinne Lodokaitis, host of How She Really Does It, where inspiration and possibility meet. I believe there are many valuable lessons to be learned from other people's journeys, and my lifelong quest has been to use inspirational success stories to motivate and empower others to achieve their personal best. How She Really Does It dives into the depths to truly understand what motivates people in order to help others to realize their own personal potential and goal. This talk show is meant to inspire, empower, entertain, and be a resource. We love to hear our listeners' comments about our shows or questions for upcoming guests. You can email us by going to our website, www.howshereallydoesit.com, and send us an email. Our past shows are available on our website or as podcasts from iTunes. Today's guest is known as a slasher. Marcy Albaher is an author, a speaker, a journalist, and a coach who focuses on careers and workplace issues. Some of you may remember I interviewed Marcy last year about her book, One Person, Multiple Careers, A New Model for Work-Life Success. And Marcy is back again to talk about working on the new economy, which is also the name of her blog at Shine from Yahoo. Marcy, welcome back. Well, thanks, Corinne. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing just fine. So you've gone through some changes in the last six months. Yes, I have. Um, although, in a way, I've gone through, through some changes, but... Um, the kind of changes that I go through are, are much more about kind of tweaking an identity that, that has these pieces to it. So I've been working in, as a freelancer and an author for you know, the last many years. So what I'm working on and where I'm working and who I'm doing it for is what usually changes over that time period. And because how do you – how do you – so is it easy – do you think it's easier for you to make these tweaks because they're – they're, they're bit little changes versus an identity of who you are. Right. Yes. I mean, I, I think, you know, when, when you said I've had some big changes, I think, to the outside world, I was blogging on the New York Times, um, Shifting Careers blog, which I started for them and ran for about a year and a half. And for the last oh, six weeks or so, I've been blogging now on Yahoo Shine on a new blog called Working the New Economy. Mm -hmm. So to the outside world, that looks like a huge identity shift, right, moving mm -hmm. from the New York Times to Yahoo. And as a freelancer, it means that I'm now working primarily for a different client. So okay. that's kind of how I look at it. But as a freelancer, I've also always had, and I, and I believe most freelancers do this, I have many irons in the fire all the time. But because I don't just write, in between big writing projects is usually the time that I ramp up the other parts of my identity. So... When I'm on contract with a big blog like this Yahoo blog, I have less time for some of the teaching and the public speaking that I usually do. But in between these two blogging episodes, and in you know, I had time to do all of that a lot more intensely. And that's when I worked with other writers as a writing coach, and that's when I accept a lot more speaking engagements. So for me, it's all about kind of riding the waves of what's happening in any particular time in my career. And how do you balance all this? being a slasher. Yeah, it's it's tricky. It's not always easy. And, you know, because I'm a free agent and I'm just myself in almost everything that I do, I, I do have one venture I'll talk about at some point where I'm working with a partner on something. But almost everything I do, I'm doing on my own. So it's a, it's a lot about just figuring out what your capacity is and what your interests are and trying to have those align as often as possible. So I usually set up kind of uh, filters for myself so that you know, I'm looking for certain kinds of work right now, which means that I won't accept other kinds of work at the same time. So, and there are also times where I'm completely full up and I won't accept any work, or sometimes where I feel there's a bit of a drought and I'm looking around for what's interesting or what pays well. So it all is about kind of what stage you're in. So is it about kind of having like a life plan, kind of knowing what your purpose is, what your intention is, whether it's for that week, that month, that time period of space that you have? Well, it's great to have, you know, to make it sound like it's so organized as a life plan, but I will tell you that when you're living it, it doesn't always feel that organized every day. A lot of times, and I know many, many people who are freelancers feel this way, you're, you have a greater goal, so you know what you want to accomplish in a longer term, and whether that long term is the next six months, the next year, the next five years. But day to day and week to week, you're often looking at, well, what are the opportunities right now, and which is the best of what's available? Okay. And tell us more about your working, um, working the new economy blog that you have. Sure. 
So Yahoo um, approached me after my New York Times blog came to an end um, to talk to me about creating a blog that's about all these ideas that I've been following for the last couple of years, which is about new models of work, where more and more people are going to be working as free agents or moving between periods of employment and free agency, or people just kind of trying to figure out some, some ways of kind of achieving that kind of self-actualization that you always talk about, yet at the same time having employment or, you know, or, or these new models of work that aren't always employ employment in what is a really turbulent economy. So you know, the whole idea of the blog is to talk about innovative ways that people are working today and what's working. So it's called Working the New Economy because it's both um, about what kind of work people are doing and really where are the opportunities in the new economy. So there's the double play on the working word. So that's what we're looking at. And uh, I have a series up now um, called Who's Finding Jobs Now? And it's about you know people are really, all the focus these days is about people losing jobs. And a lot of what I'm trying to do here is talking about the positive things that are happening. So who, who is getting hired now and how are they finding those jobs is a recurring series that I'll be doing. But I'm also looking a lot at what kind of tools we need to be good at work today. What kind of mindset do we need to be successful today? And what kind of tools do we need? Good question. Good question. Um, I think those, those, the, the primary um, tools that I, I like to focus on are how can we find tools that will help us to live a life where we are not reliant on one single employer always? So how can we figure out um, how to be entrepreneurial, whether we're working for somebody else or whether we're working on, online. So I know you've, you've recently interviewed Dan Schwabel, and I had him in the blog, and we've been talking a lot about the subject of personal branding. So figuring out how to make your personal brand or your expertise known, whether you are attached to an employer, whether you're on your own, whether you're a consultant. So some of the tools are kind of very mindset-oriented like that. Um, and others are very tech-oriented. So you know, I just wrote about a new company, Glassdoor.com, mm -hmm. that is working to share salary information for particular employers. And there were a lot of companies out there that were doing that on a general level, like uh, Payscale and Salary.com, where you can find out what's going on in your industry. But this is a, um, all anonymously reported advice about certain named companies. So if you're interviewing for a position as an engineer at Microsoft, you can see reported information about whether en what other engineers at Microsoft are making. So I'm trying to stay on top of the, the newest tools that are helping us to, to find opportunities and to, to be better at what we do. This is Karen Motokaitis, and we have Marcy Albert, blogger of Working the New Economy from Yahoo Shine, and this is you're listening to how she really does it. And so, that, that, yeah, the glassdoor.com, that's a pretty um, interesting tool that is out there because you can find much more specific information than in the past. You might kind of see averages, and it was kind of hard to really figure out how, to, how do I fit into that. But when you see a particular job, um, it, yeah, I mean, and also if you're going to have a, a me first meeting, and you know how we never like to talk about money, mm -hmm. you can do all this by like go do the research somewhere else, and you don't have to kind of search around to see if you can ever find anybody in your network or so you know things like that. And I'm I'm really looking forward to finding you know I I cover companies that are figuring out new tools for putting resumes online, like Visual CV, which has this great. Um, you can create a URL for your resume, and it can live live as a link. And it's very, very helpful for someone like you, Karen, who might want to have a very, um, a very multimedia resume. You can post clips there. It's all free. It's really easy to share as a link. So for someone who doesn't want to go to the trouble of building a personal website, it kind of does that for you. And there's also a chronological resume piece that you can download as a PDF at any time. So I'm interested in all kinds of tools like that. And then you spoke about mindset. So with this economy, what, what, how is the mindset that we need to have now different than like maybe three years ago? Well, I think it's, it's all different based on what your own life situation is. But I, I was always of the, you know, like you, 
I'm always urging people to kind of know themselves and try to build a career that totally meshes with their values and their passions. And when you do those things, you're naturally going to be better at it, and you're going to be fulfilled, and you'll probably have fewer moments of uh, dread involving work, although we all get to a point where even the work we love feels difficult or um, ominous. But today I think there is this new financial overlay that's really affected everyone. I don't know many people who could say they, they haven't been at all affected by the downturn. So I think it takes a new kind of mindset to find the opportunities now and to figure out how to break in when it feels like there's a lot of competition. I do think people might be working in a variety of part-time or independent ventures where they used to imagine that maybe they do just one thing. So when I wrote about flash careers a couple of years ago, I was encouraging people to think about flash careers as a choice uh, where you're, you're choosing a career that helps you in some way because you can't choose what you want to do or you, want, you have this left brain, right brain balance or you're looking for um, complementary things in your life. And today I see a lot of people flashing by necessity. So that's a huge change in the current economy. It is. And, um, you know, I, I, I see more and more people doing it. And um, whether it's because you have, if you have different income streams and then one fizzles out, there's, mm -hmm. you're not totally devastated, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that really helps. And I mean, uh, I liken it, Corinne, to a, uh, a diversified investment <laughs> portfolio. So we spend all these time thinking about how our investment portfolio should be diversified, but why did we never look at our careers like that? Why don't we have one part of our career, our career that feels kind of steady and stable and reliable, yet other parts of our career that are more high risk, high return? You know, the rules just seem to have changed so much because I don't, I'm 36, and so it was about, you know, when I remember when I went to college, go to school, do really well in school, get a good job, and... You, you work hard and you do, you do a good job and you excel. And, and it wasn't, there, or at least I wasn't aware of it, but there wasn't so much about following your purpose or being aligned with who you are and seeing how you can do that. And, I mean, obviously with the show and everything, I'm much more in that world now about, you know, finding what it is that you like to do and seeing if you can incorporate a career out of it or maybe a slasher career out of it. Mm -hmm. And... um and the, rule, and the rules are changing, you know, we're, we're seeing so many different fields. So is this transition that we're going through as an economy, as our, as our whole society, is this because the rules are changing in general for everybody? There's not just, there, we're becoming more slashers. You're seeing more people doing multiple different things instead of one thing. Or, you know, some people are going to self-employment because they may, may not, corporate structure may not work for them in the lives that they choose to lead. Right. I, I mean, I think it's those two things layered. I mean, I do think that the movement towards whatever, whether you call it slash careers, whether you call it um, lots of part-time work, whether you call it the gig economy, which um, Tina Brown coined that phrase a few months ago, and I think that's really coined it kind of nicely. You have all that going on, and yet at the same time, you have this huge need for all of us to think entrepreneurially, and the reason you have to do that is if you're going to be working part-time or working independently and even part of what you do, then you have to work on figuring out how are people going to find you? How are people going to know about you? How are you, how are you going to constantly um, you know, get business for the thing that you want to do? There's another layer that we haven't talked about, which I think is a really positive thing that's going on, and I think this is a real trickle-up effect from the Gen Y, kind of millennial generation, is that there's a whole lot of people. It's a trickle-up and a trickle-down effect because I think it's happening primarily both with the boomers and the Gen Y folks, which is that people are really wanting to have more meaning and more like give back in their mm -hmm. lives. And uh, people want to do good. And they don't necessarily want to separate that from the work that they do for money. So people are really, and companies are being, even as you know, it might be a, a buyer's market from an employer's perspective, employers are really, really sensing that um, people today want to be affiliated with a company that's ethical, that um, is um, going to do, do good rather than harm in the world, and so I think that's another layer that's kind of really affecting how we look at opportunities today. This is Corinne Motokaitis of How She Really Does It, and I'm talking with Marcy Albaher. She's the author of One Person, Multiple Careers, A New Model for Work-Life Success. So were you just kind of ahead of your time with when you wrote that book? <laughs> well, um, I, would like to th I would like to think so, but, you know, 
Um, I believe that ideas circle around and float around in the air. And I, clearly, when I wrote about it, I do think it was one of the ideas that was circling around. And I don't think I'm the only one who's thinking like this. There was a, another interesting book that came out around the time of mine called Renaissance Souls. And uh, you know, that book, I think, was hinting at the same thing, like recognizing that as people, we have many different aspects to ourselves. And why, why not cultivate all of them? So, yeah, I think I think the ideas in my book were very, very much in line with um, what a lot of people have been thinking about these days. So, with the economy the way it is, and you being a journalist, also, does fear creep up inside of you, or do you look at it as a time of opportunities? Well, it's it's hard not to to sometimes feel fearful, but I'm I'm kind of an optimist by nature, so. Um, I do believe that times of transition are scary to people, but they are laden with opportunities. So, for example, you know, I come from the print world, and we're all very, very concerned about what's happening to newspapers. And I spend a lot of time speaking to other journalists. I speak um, because I write about careers. I speak at professional conferences for journalists all the time. And the last one I did, which was in February or March, um, there was a, a lot of fear. A lot of people have this view, you know, for all the nice talk we talk about um, entrepreneurship, most people who became journalists did not want to become entrepreneurs and free agents. They wanted to just uncover the truth and have an employer who would pay them to do that. And there, that is not a profession where people are really um, naturally, naturally designed to think that way. Yet so many journalists will find that the only way to survive today is to become a freelancer or to leave the profession. So that's something that, you know, I can't be entirely, you know, there is a little fear there, I think, for people who think like that. It's, it's easy for someone like me who, I really want to work for myself, but mm -hmm. these, these ideas are a little harder to accept when they've been thrust on you and you haven't made that conscious choice. Because your choice may have been that I want to go work in this corporate structure. Exactly. I just want to do the work. I don't want to, I don't want to worry about how to get the clients, how to get the work. I just want to be funded to do this work that I care about or work that I'm really attracted to or that you know, meets my talents and my values. So um, people may not have that luxury today. It really is. I do believe that entrepreneurial skills are something we're all going to have to learn and that young people are going to have to be taught because it's going to be vital whether or not for your whole life, certainly for some parts of your life, to live like this. I interviewed Pam Slim a couple weeks ago, and one of the things that she said was that everybody should consider themselves self-employed, regardless if they work for a company or they work for themselves. Because the idea was that, you know, you may at some point be let go or it's whether it comes down to the branding issue of, you know, what services are you providing for this company? And so if you can try, I guess her thing was maybe going more into that mindset of, you know, thinking as an entrepreneur and what value you bring to the services you provide. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. This is Corinne Modokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It. Our guest today is the career slasher, Marcy Albaher. So, Marcy, um, w w for journalists right now, because that's been a hard-hit sector of the job market, what, where do you see the opportunities that lie for journalists? Well, it's interesting. There, there are lots of people tracking this right now. If you go on Twitter and look in my Twitter stream, I'm, I'm reading a lot of them on a daily basis. Um, there's no nobody who has a crystal ball here for the future of journalism. If I had one, I'd be, I'd be, uh, oh, I'd be hailed as a hero by so many. So, and I'd probably be kind of wealthy too. <laughs> so, um, there's a few possibilities. Uh, there are people who believe that big, respected journalist, journalistic enterprises like the New York Times will go more on the Wall Street Journal model and um, and charge for their content which would do a lot to preserve jobs and uh, to allow them to do the kind of reporting and coverage that they currently do around the world. Uh, there's been some very interesting theories floated about how that would be subsidized and how consumers might be able to have like a pass where they buy a certain amount of media that they'd like to consume each month and use their chips you know, throughout the web in different media, in, in different publications. And that would require some cooperation on the part of different media outlets to agree to a certain system. So that's something that's been floated quite a lot. Uh, there's also a um, certain amount of media that will be done through what's called citizen, citizen journalism, where uh, people are, are involved via web, 
web sites and all kinds of technology tools in covering their own communities. And a lot of those ventures are being funded by grant-making foundations, by nonprofits, by small investors. I think we're going to see a lot of experiments and kind of what sticks and what fails. Through this times of transition. And so um, our writer, when you talked about earlier writers leaving, some, some journalists are leaving the field if they don't want to become more entrepreneurial. And what fields are they going into? Well, you know, the, the typical transitions for um, journalists, you know, lots of them go into public relations, lots mm -hmm. of them transition into positions that have to do with the beat they covered. So let's say they covered um, a sector in, in small business or in uh, health. They might find that they are knowledgeable content you know, experts at that point, and that gives them opportunities to move into those kinds of sectors. Lots of it, um, journalists are really passionate about issues and policy, and you might find them going to places like think tanks or policy-making organizations or even into academia where they can kind of continue to um, work on those issues but maybe more in, more in the less of an objective role and more of an advocacy role. And then, of course, some will, will write books and you know, have careers as writers and in different ways. And so if they can stay in that mindset of, okay, there's a new path that I'm going to go try out, isn't that a, um, I don't, I don't want to put a judgment, but isn't that uh, in, in some ways more productive way than staying in the fear or going, being stuck of this is what I do, this is all that I know? Because like you just talked about ways to transition out of being a journalist, maybe writing for a paper, and to using your skill set to go and do something else where a lot of people may not be able to put those two things together. Right. So are, are you asking? Um, well, it, about how your mindset's set up. So if you can look at it as, okay, so the newspaper business is going through a time of transition. Jobs are becoming, you know, fewer and fewer. I, at, at this next stage in my life, I need to look at the opportunities. I have this content. I have this knowledge. I'm going to go try something else. I'm going to go try working in the health field or I'm going to go work in public relations um, because this is the knowledge base. So if they can stay with, so my question to you is, if they can stay with that, with that mindset of this is what I have to offer instead of the, the mindset of there's a lack of jobs, mm -hmm. does that help the transition? Oh, I think any, anybody who's going through a career change needs to think about what are the skills that I have how are they transferable? What else can I do with the skill set other than what I've been doing before? But, but people who are in an industry that is changing and that is shrinking have to do that in an even more serious way. Because, and, and I've talked to quite a lot of people who were in the financial industry in New York, Wall Street people, who have had to go through this process because the very institutional structures that they worked in don't exist anymore. There will not be the same number and type of investment banking careers as there ever were. So, People who have been trained to do that work, they have no choice. They have to figure out something new to do, and they will go through that process of taking inventory of their talents, their skills, and then thinking about what they can do with those. So it's a pretty common process for people to go through. And, and with those that get stuck, is it because they, are, they live with that label of who they think they are by that job title that they do? I'm not sure we can generalize about okay. you know, why people are stuck. I mean, I think there's a, you know, there's a whole lot of like stages in which people need to personally, personally go through to make changes in their lives. And uh, I think when you see a, a profession that is dying out, you know, lots of journalists still have jobs doing journalism, and, and we'll be able to figure out ways to do journalism. And then there will be institutions where people hang on to the end. There will be p institutions where people see something coming that they, want, they, that they anticipate and they, they are pushed and they are kind of you know, prompted to kind of go do an inquiry. And then everybody's own personal life needs come into play. If you are the main breadwinner of your family, you have totally different concerns than if you have no, no people that you're responsible for. If you've paid off your mortgage and you're in a coasting kind of financial piece of life. You're in a different position than if you thought you were going to retire and now you have to work 10 more years. So, you know, I think these things are so hard to generalize because it all depends on what your own life situation is. This is Karen Motokaitis and you're listening to How She Really Does It. And 
Our guest today is Marcy Alberher. She's a blogger of Working on the New Economy from Yahoo Shine, and her website is heymarcy.com. And so I want to talk about networking because you put, you put that up on your blog. What are what are some of the what what are some of the skills people need for networking, especially in times like this where people are looking to try to get different jobs? So um, I would say there there are two ways I would say to look at this. One is to understand kind of some of the fundamentals about how relationships are formed and how we can use our personal network to enrich our lives and our careers. And then there's a second layer, which is there are some new technology tools today that make this all a little easier than it ever was. Easier both to succeed and to mess up. <laughs> so starting with like kind of what are the underlying principles, the people who have the strongest networks that they can rely on and um, are people who are givers, are people who are constantly helping other people, are constantly making themselves available, are constantly sharing their advice, their expertise, their good charm. And it, it's those people who find that when they're in a moment of need or when they need to access their network, they're usually pretty able to pick up the phone or send an email or drop in on somebody and ask for what it is that they need. Uh, the people who have the most trouble with networking are people who don't build these kind of strong relationships and then find, oh, I need a new job, or oh, I need some new clients, oh, I need X. And then finally, they, there's nothing there for them to tap into because they haven't really built that. So I mean, it's so trite, but this whole build it before you need it expression is exactly the most important thing to think about when it comes to networking. So when you're saying build it, is this because we have we have two different environments? We have the online environment, and then we have um, you know our face-to-face -face lives. And let's talk first about the online environment because, like when we were talking before the show today, we were talking about this network of people that I'm interviewing, and they're how how they're part of like your tribe, right? right, right and it right. was something not me, when we were talking about doing the interview. I didn't know this. It's just kind of how it's happenstance. So with the online environment, how is the how do you build an online network like that? Right. So interestingly, Corinne, a lot of the people that you're mentioning, I didn't meet first online at all, actually. Um, you mentioned Jonathan Fields, right, who's been on your blog. Mm -hmm. And I met him because I was a reporter. Um, I, I was a you know, writing a column for the New York Times, and I decided to write a story on lawyers and career change. And I, I found him probably through a referral. I send out emails to people saying that I'm uh, looking for people who have had interesting career changes, and I think he was recommended by a friend of a friend, and um, I met him in person. And after writing about him, I kept up with him through the years, and we bonded because we were both lawyers who had gone down uh, transforming paths, so we found some things in common. We stayed in touch. Well, as the years went by, I wrote a book on careers, then he wrote a book on careers, and suddenly we had like this new reason to be in touch again and to stay in touch. And I think that's a huge part of how all these, how all the key relationships develop in, in your network is that you meet a person the first time or um, you're introduced to a person because you, are, you have something in common. And the thing in common is usually an area of shared interest. Uh, you come from the same place. You've gone to school together. You've either shared an experience or you have you know, proximity in some way. A lot of relationships are built because we're around people. They're going through an experience at the same time as we are. So uh, that could be anything from like waiting in the, in the waiting room at the dentist's office to going to, to a grad school program together. So that's kind of the meeting aspect of it, whether it happens in person, whether it happens online, whether it happens in, in any context. But the second piece of it is how do you keep up those relationships mm -hmm. and make them genuine and turn those relationships into um, a give and take place where can contact each other when you need things, when you need referrals and recommendations, when you need um, you know, job suggestions, when, when you're building, you know, you're, if you're building a business and you need new clients that you can include them on, a newsletter you would send out. You know, it's all the, the various ways that this plays out. Because some people would view you and Jonathan Fields as competitors, right? Because he wrote a career book, you wrote a career book. Yeah, yeah, I never think about it that way. Okay, so there's, there's t uh, uh, the main way to look at that is, I don't know where this comes from, but um, I did not create this. But um, somebody talked about this idea where you can come from a, an attitude of scarcity or an attitude of abundance. So if you come from an attitude of scarcity, we'd say, oh, yes, he's a career expert, and I'm a career expert, 
therefore we should never help one another because there's only room in the world for one career expert. Well, the truth is there's room in the world for many career experts. And if he and I know each other and we get along, we can help one another. So mm -hmm. very often I get called on for an opportunity like to do an interview like today or to go on the Today Show or to write a new book, and I'm busy. And I want to make a good impression on that person who asked me. So it's wonderful to know a bunch of talented people that I can recommend who could do the job if I can't do it. So that's, that's kind of one reason it's in, important to help each other. But another main reason is that I can only be good at my job if I keep up with other people in my field and know how, de how they do things. So it's really important to share information, to share best practices, to share like links to the great stuff we're reading, what we're hearing these days. Um, so it keeps you on your toes to know who's out there in your space. Well, and don't you also think that um, it's about, you may have information and Jonathan may have information and Pam Slim may have information and there may be some that overlap and there may be different ones, but it may also be about who resonates with, with each of your voice. Tell me where I'm wrong with that. Sure, exactly. Um, yes. I mean, John, Jonathan's book is a big follow your dreams book. It's called Career Renegade. It has a particular kind of attitude. So sure, he wrote a career book and I wrote a career book, but my career book is about something pretty specific. Mm -hmm. It's about how to build a, a flash career. Well, Pamela Sun's book is about another career-specific item. You know, it's about, you know, breaking out and working on your own. Now, there's lots of overlap between all three of those books, and it's also possible that we share a lot of readers who are interested in those topics. But there's no reason, there's no um, limited supply of ideas that people should have access to. So um, each time I can help one of them or, or put the spotlight on one of them, I'm also exposing my readers who know what it is that I talk about to some new set of ideas, and I'm giving those readers something new. And, and for I, everybody. I like how you talk about the scarcity or the abundance. And if you look at it from a scarcity point, like, oh, if I show my readers these other people, they're going to leave me. But actually what you're doing when you're, when you're networking with these other people is you're exposing your audience to other people. They're exposing their audience to you, and your audiences are growing. It's yeah, and you know, take this out of our field where I think it's so easy to see the relevancy, but let's say you work as a consultant to a company and you learn that the company has another need and you have a consultant friend that you think could help that need. You're not going to probably get less work from the company because you've helped them in another area. They're going to think, wow, not only is Corinne a great consultant, but she also knows terrific people and just gave me this other way to solve a problem that I have. So you've then built your reputation with your client by showing that you not only are good at the expertise that they hired you for, but you've got this strong network that you can tap into to help them solve other problems. So they're going to need you even more. Because you're a connector. Exactly. So Marcy, now what about if somebody approaches you and says, can you introduce me to so-and-so? What, what does one do with that? Well, it all depends on the context. Um, I mean, when I get a request, I get requests like that every day. And if somebody asks me to introduce them to someone and I have a high opinion of the person, I'm happy to make the introduction and I'm happy to rave about the person. If, on the other hand, somebody asks me um, to make an introduction or a recommendation for someone that I don't have enough high opinion of or I don't know very well, that's when it gets a little tricky and you have to figure out how to be honest and diplomatic at the same time because your reputation is on the line and you don't want to be recommending somebody or making introductions where you don't think it's going to be helpful in the end to the person who's asking for the introduction. So I think you have to be very, very careful. And, and I, I wrote a post, uh, I think it was last week, called The Seven Deadly Sins of Networking. And one of them, the first one was making introductions that you shouldn't make. Uh -huh. So um, I think, and, and this time I think we're all faced with a, a more of those dilemmas than we would want to be faced with. And so how does one diplomatically back out of that when that request is made? The, the, the easiest way to do it is to be honest and say, wow, I would love to make, I would love to make this um, introduction, but I don't know the person very well that you want to meet. So I think you might want to go, to some, go through somebody else. Oh, well, that's a good one to do. Because then you're taking the responsibility back onto more of yourself. Um, Okay. And you're, you're also showing that you might not be the best way in, or I'm not sure if that person will even know me. You know, that, that's one way you can do. Now, when you have a situation where 
you just um, you just think someone isn't good, but you do have a solid re reputation, you know, a solid relationship and a solid direct in. You can always you can always um, tell a little white lie and say that you're not sure you have any relationships there. You know, you have to be careful though, because at the end of the day, you have your reputation to worry about, and you don't want to go recommending people when the person you recommend is going to um, make you look bad. And how do you back out of that? How do you back out of making? Well, when you when the person that's asking for the recommendation, you don't, you don't have um, a very high opinion of, or it would. Well, here's one that I recently had that's a little close to this. A friend said to me, "I see that you used to work at this company. Someone that I know wants to work at that company. Um, would you feel comfortable making a recommendation for them?" And I said, "You know." My, my contacts at that company are kind of old, so I'm not sure it's really going to have much value. Um, but how about this? If you can rave about that person, I can say I don't know them, but a friend of mine can rave. If you can't rave about that person, uh, I'd prefer not to make the introduction. So the person came back to me and said, well, I'm not sure I can rave. I would like to help her, but I don't think I can rave. So what we came up with is she went back to the person and said, her con Marcy's contacts seem kind of old. She doesn't really think it would do much good to make the recommendation. So the person, we all tried, and, and we came, came up with an answer that was partially true, wasn't the only truth, but I think it would satisfy everyone in that, in that context. And then have you ever been asked directly from somebody that you felt you couldn't recommend? I have, and I've been honest. Uh -huh. um, I, I have, um, as a journalist, I get some strange requests sometimes. Um, where you know a publicist would ask me, you know, ask me for a re recommendation once I'd worked with her on one story. She pitched me the story, but I had no idea if she was good at her job. I just know that she once sent me a press release, and frankly, I wasn't particularly impressed with her in a whole lot of ways. But I had almost no basis on which to make a re recommendation. So it felt kind of inappropriate for me to make a recommendation. And I just said, I hardly know you. Um, I wish you the best of luck in your career search, but I don't think I'm in the best position to do this. Oh, well, that's a, that's a, it's genuine and it's authentic and it's soft. Right, right. I do believe that some, something that's fairly close to the truth usually works here. <laughs> and Well, and there's a way to go about it. It's not like, oh, you suck and there's no way I'm going to put my name well, to there it. There is the other pretend you never got the email approach um, <laughs> if you're really desperate. I like the genuine approach better. <laughs> <laughs> Marcy Albaher, she's an author, writer, journalist, speaker, writing coach, a career slasher, and we are here discussing, um, we are discussing networking. This is Corinne Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It. And what about networking tips for when you're shy or introverted? Right, right. So um, I just wrote a piece about that this week because I was um, inspired by another guest of your show, yep. Gretchen Rubin, who says that she's an introvert, and I think she is... Uh, the best networker that I've ever encountered, actually. And uh, so some of the ways that introverted and shy people network have to do with um, instead of envisioning yourself in a big room where you have to work the room and you have to talk to everyone, they often do better one-on-one -on -one, where they're building their relationships slowly and quietly and through direct contact. And remember, this whole idea of networking is it's not about how many people you know. It's about quality of relationships. So, if it's easier for you to build um, a small group of people that know you very well, that you know very well, those are going to be high-quality relationships, and you're going to be able to help each other very much. So you know, think about what makes sense for your personality style. She talks about, uh, Gretchen talks about ways she keeps in touch with people throughout the year. She sends Valentine's Day cards to get away from the holiday card rush, which I thought was just this great kind of unconventional way of uh, staying in people's minds at a time when, when people are done with all the holiday greetings. Um, writing is a really good way to meet people when you're a little shy. Um, now, this obviously only works for people who like to write, but you can write a blog, which is a very, very community-oriented activity where you have some expertise, you want to share it, and blogging by, by nature is um, a medium in which people get to know one another because they get to know the people that write in the same subject. So. Um, you can also um, use online tools like Facebook to reconnect with old friends. You know, get on Facebook and you know, hook up with people that you haven't talked to in a while, see what they're doing in their lives. And that's like a, a nice way to, you don't even have to leave your house to do something like that. Well, in regards to Facebook, so questions that I've gotten about Facebook is, you know, you may have your 200 or 400 or 900 friends or whatever. 
and maybe you find somebody back from high school or or college and you do your traditional one or two, okay, let's catch up and then you're done. How much more do you do keep in ch- touch? Like, do you force it? Do you right. make it more but authentic? The, the whole thing is, um, Corinne, it's not about like amassing people. The whole idea of having a solid network and a network that means something to you is that you should be connecting with people around shared interests. So I wouldn't encourage people to go back and, and get in touch with everybody that you were friends with in high school or college or anywhere at a prior job. I would encourage you to get back in touch with people if you feel like you generally lost them and if you've got some issues in common, some things that you want to pursue that you think that that person would still have a shared interest in. This is why relationships built with things like golf or book clubs or cycling where people have an interest in common are really, really strong bonds because you're always going to want to see those people because you want to do the thing that you do when you're with those people. So. Um, I encourage people, you know, another great, great technique for shy people is to join a group. Join a group that has a lot of people connecting around something you like to do. An activity, a sport, or something where sure. you can go. So it's, and so, again, it's not about the number of people that you know, but it's about the genuine interest that you have, and that's going to come across as less of a, that, you know, when people, when you think about, when I think about working the room, I just go, oh, shackles on. Exactly, exactly. But when it's when it's a genuine thing, then people aren't feeling like they're being used and you're, you're only going to them for something. You have a common interest and it, a friendship evolves or a, a, a contact evolves and you go you carry forth from there. Exactly, exactly. And um, what, what about transitions? Because a lot of people are going through transitions and you went through one. I said it was big and you said you were tweaking. And so how... You've gone through some lots of different transitions, like from being a lawyer to, to being becoming a writer. How do you deal so well with your transitions? Um, well, transitions are a normal part of life. I mean, the only way you get somewhere is to have a transition from A to B, right? Um, but transitions, I, I also went through a huge personal transition in that I got divorced about five years ago which is very, very parallel to what happens in a career transition, actually. And the thing that is in common with all transitions are, um, is that they're about identity shifts. So what we do for a living, for example, and, and who we're married to, are very tied up into our, our identity and how we view ourselves and how we um, respond to the world. And so when you're going through a transition, one of the challenging things is that all that you were before is kind of challenged. And your identity is in a place that, yes, it's exciting to think, oh, I can explore these new things and um, I'm going to create something new. But very often people feel as if the rug has been pulled out from under them because they got settled in some kind of identity. And now it's time to think about what a new identity might be like. And one of the things that is also um, a a hallmark of identity shifts is that you go through a period of experimentation where you have to try on new things and to see what fits and to see what's right. And all the while that that's going on, you've also probably changed as a person since we all evolve over time. So there's a lot of factors here. And I think the big thing with transitions is to allow yourself to go through a period where you're experimenting and trying things out and seeing what feels right for this time of your life. Um, and and you'll, you'll you'll naturally get to where you have to go. That is the, the beauty of life is that we are on some grand conveyor belt that does kind of keep on rolling even if we don't want it to be. But you can take control of that by doing some experiments and trying, you know, trying various things out and, seeing, and, and paying attention to your reactions. To different things. Do you have any fear of failure? I guess we all have fear of failure. Um, Sure. Every time I set out to do something, I wonder if it won't be if it won't be good. If it won't be good as the thing that came before, I wonder will I ever write another book that I think is really good. All writers have that fear. Um, I hope that this blog turns out to be as good as I'd like it to be. Sure, sure. I think that's what keeps you going. I think that's what makes you feel like you want to try harder and push yourself. When you when you have that fear of failure, do you look at it as at it as an opportunity for growth? Sure, but I also look at it as like a fire under, a fire under my okay. butt. You know that um, 
you know, if, if I don't just put my all into it, you know, I'm certainly going to fail. You know, because it's interesting because I didn't like to fail or suck. I'm a total overachiever and didn't like to be bad at things. And, um, and so that's something where I feel like in this stage of my life, I'm like, okay, I'm learning, I'm growing, and I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to stumble, and I'm gathering information. And maybe this is not a path for me, or maybe this is a path, or maybe I just need to fine-tune that. And when I, if I can do that, when you talk about like mindsets, that's what when I think about with mindsets for me is that if I can, because um, when I when I go into the failure mode, I just shut down. This is just me personally. But when I can go into okay, I'm trying something, and it is okay if I fail or if I suck or if I blow up or you know like I was seen blowing up and uh, on an athletic realm, but um, this my body just falling apart or whatever, but um. <laughs> And then, and, and then that kind of gives my brain, my, my brain and my fear, my brain, um, some freedom to go, okay, I can relax and now I can go forward. And I find that when I do that and I'm not striving for perfection for myself, that I actually do better work. Yeah. I will say it's a real gift if you're born with the ability, if you're not a perfectionist and I don't know. Somehow I was, I was not given that I'm a, I'm a high achiever certainly. And I, I put some pressure on myself. But um, I'm not a perfectionist. I uh, often post a blog that has a grammar error in it, and you know, some reader tells me, you know, I feel like it makes like life a little bit easier when uh, when you're not a perfectionist. Well, that's thank you for sharing that. That you sometimes post post a, uh, a grammar error because, you know, I think that's just so important to, for people to know. It's important for me to know too that everybody makes mistakes, and that's okay. And we still live. We still move forward. And like you say, there's still that conveyor belt that we ride along. Exactly. And so, and um, you said earlier that you had something new that was coming up. Oh, you know, I'm working on a, um, yeah, we probably don't have time to get into a whole lot, but I'm, I'm working on a venture with a partner, and that's a new experience for me because so much of what I do is on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a webcast company that I'm working on that, that's about uh, creating webcasts on career skills, and I'm working with a partner who's somebody that I have had an informal career group with for many, many years. So we have a very good way of working together, and it's really enjoyable for me to be working on something in my career that's not um, not solo. So I think it's nice to have these combinations in your life. And um, how do you transition from that, from being solo to working with somebody? Do you, does it, are you, do you continue to be genuine and honest? And is that how the? Because I'm sure there's going to be sticking points, just like in a relationship, there's sticking points, right? Right, whether with our husband or our partners or whatever. There's there's sometimes people do stuff and it's like ah. So, how do you work with a partner versus when it's yourself and it's it comes down to you being you? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I, I get the the question about the oh. honest part. I mean, I I don't think I could ever form a partnership without some, if it wasn't with somebody that I know really well and trust and, of course, would be completely myself with. So, and it's important in the, in the, in the project that we're building that both our personalities are reflected in it and that we together build something that we both feel good about and that we carve out appropriate roles for ourselves. So, thankfully, I'm working with a partner that has a long history of understanding how we work together and working through problems and being able to talk about difficult stuff as well as just the exciting and easy stuff. So, yeah, we expect to have, you know, road bumps along the way, but we also, I've chosen this partner because I know that I can work with her, and uh, I'd be pretty cautious about building a partnership with somebody that I didn't know very well. Well, and that was my question about being genuine and honest, because sometimes people will hold things in instead of discussing the points. In in business partnerships, the exact same um, relationship issues come up as come up in you know romantic partnerships. I did a part a, a story for the New York Times about um, small business partners who uh, see re- like uh, counselors that are much like marital counselors who are helping them work through the issues in their partnerships. And uh, yeah, thankfully my my business partner and I have been both been through a lot of therapy and we, we kind of understand how uh, how each other works. So we'll see. I think that I feel really. Um, confident about that piece. And so when will this business launch? Well, we're in a, a testing stage over the summer. We're um, launching a few over the summer that will help us figure out exactly the direction we're going to go in. 
and what part of the market makes sense for us. So, you know, it's, it's going to be in, in beta mode for quite a while. Well, that's very exciting. And then just I would like to recap just about slash careers. Um, and is there a difference between slash careers and slash jobs? Uh, well, I mean, it all depends on uh, how how you want to talk about this vocabulary. I mean, the way I, I think about when I talk about a slash career, I'm talking about a person who has these multiple prongs in their life. When you, I, I mean, a slash job is not a phrase I, I use very often, but um, it made me think about the jobs that I call kind of slash friendly, which are jobs that work well when you pair them with other things. Mm -hmm. So jobs that work well on a part-time or flexible or virtual basis are really slash friendly, jobs that you can do from anywhere. Um, jobs that don't require you to be in a physical location for a, a certain number of hours every week. Those are jobs that I always call slash friendly. So that's kind of some of my favorite vocabulary around it. And um, how, with your, with your blog on Shine from Yahoo, is that a weekly blog that you post? I blog three times a week there. Three times a week. Other specific days of the week? Usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but uh, it might vary a bit. Now, is that the difference between like uh, blogging versus print, where you can have some flexibility in that? Yeah, it's very flexible, exactly. Very nice. Well, Marcy, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's been great having you back, and I appreciate that. So thank you very much. Okay, I hope to talk to you soon, Corinne. Okay, take care. This Bye -bye. is Corinne Motokaitis, and we've had Marcy Albaher. She's the author of One Person, Multiple Careers, a new model for work-life success, and her new blog at Yahoo Shine, Working the New Economy. You can catch uh, the show on our website as a podcast or from iTunes. And we'd love to hear our listeners' comments about our shows or questions for upcoming guests. You can email us by going to our website, www.howshereallydoesit.com, or you can direct mail us at www.twitter.com slash Corinne Modokaitis.